Welcome to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast, hosted by lead pastors Cassie and Alex Barron. Midtown Church exists to reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. This podcast explores ways in which we can become more like Jesus, reveal the places he is already working, and ultimately renew the reputation of the local church. Hey everyone, this is the Midtown Church Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, sitting down with my co-pastor, Cassie. Hey. And we are super excited to be talking on the subject of women in leadership. Yes. Uh, Just simply by my introduction, it's pretty clear Cassie and I lead Midtown Church together. We kind of function with a co-pastoring model. Uh Uh-huh. And so this subject of empowering women um, seeing women in all levels of leadership is not just kind of a, a, a subject for us, but it's our lives. It's yeah, it's it how is. we lead and uh, what we do. And so just you wanted to give you that like context yeah. as we kind of open up this conversation on um, helping women step into more areas of leadership. And yeah. I will probably do less of the talking, let Cassie speak for kind of our thoughts and our subject, but I do want to contextualize that for me, some people could interpret, you know, stepping into a co-pastoring model mm-hmm. is losing influence or losing power in a way that's, you know, detrimental to your own ministry. And yeah. we've actually found the exact opposite, that yeah. in leading together... We make um, one another better. We make one another better yeah. and more are empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, the way Cassie is able to step into a room and lead the room allows for the other women in the room to see themselves in her position. Whereas if it were just me leading, there's 50% of the room that's almost alienated because they couldn't see themselves doing what I'm doing or they don't see themselves in kind of the same way leading. So what we've found is just in, in that it's, it's been an empowering, just being who we are. Yeah. It's, Lots of people, I feel like, argue the whole racial representation. So yes. it's like, you know, we need to make sure that we're representing more racial minorities in leadership if we want to see more leaders of minority groups. But we don't always think about that in the respect of women, yeah. but it's the exact same. Same, when, same concept. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, it's yeah. helpful when a woman can see yeah. an example. And and we've noticed, we've been pastoring in the city, not quite a year yet, but in... in these nine months or so we've been here, there have not been a whole lot of examples of other women leaders, or at least in the circles we've run in. So we yeah, they definitely exist. They definitely but exist. Not even close to it equal in their representation yeah. when it comes to male versus female. Yeah. yeah. So we've we found there's that's kind of a void in our city. So wanna set that up that we want to see and we want to encourage and we want to empower women to step into roles of leadership. Um, not just in the church. No. Particularly in our church, we want that. But we, we want women to broadly. feel empowered yeah. more broadly in whatever field, whatever vocation, whatever occupation they feel called to. Yeah. Um, we won't offer a defense of leadership from like a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother thing. Which we could. There's a very strong biblical defense there's a strong, in all levels of leadership. Yes, there is. There's a, <laughs> there's, so this is to say... Not only is, I think it a Jesus thing to say that women 
belong in levels of leadership. There's a strong biblical case yeah. for it. But that's not this podcast. This yeah. podcast is working on the assumption that that is true. Yeah. And therefore, what should we do to see more leaders um, in, or more female leaders? So I want to start with kind of asking Cassie, Cassie, would you highlight some of the challenges or barriers in seeing more women in leadership? Yeah. I mean, I think the first one is just low representation. Um, I mentioned this actually just a few moments ago. Women need to see examples is so important. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we see the value of this when it comes to when we talk about um, racial minorities, but we don't always uh, give it the same like level uh, as we do when we're talking about the women issue. And women have to see examples. I... I don't care what your political views are. I say this in the most bipartisan way that I possibly can. I say this. The fact that currently, for the very first time in our country, we get to see a woman vice president working with a male president hand in hand in a very um, wonderful way is huge for women in this country and women all around the world to see an individual like Biden join hands with Kamala Harris and say, let's lead and do this together. I cannot, I don't care what your political views are, whatever. I cannot stress how important that moment is. And I actually think we're going to see a lot of women rise as a result of this demonstration and display that we have seen before us. Women need to see that they can do it. Mm -hmm. They need to see that they have the qualities. They need to see that they are qualified, that they have potential. They need to see that they have the intelligence. Um, They need to see that their voice is valued. And the only way that happens is by seeing other people do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very rare to find a person that's willing to do somebody something nobody has ever done. Yeah. And although we like to say we want to do things that nobody has ever done, very few people do. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it's really important that women have examples. So I think that is one of the, the biggest challenges that we face is there's just low representation. Uh, the second challenge is, is that there are few opportunities, uh, and we'll get into the reason for this a little bit more probably later in the podcast. Um, but because historically women have not gotten to hold all levels of leadership, it just is harder for them to gain access to different opportunities. Um, whether that be internships, whether that be um, different positions in a company, Mm. being able to actually work up the ladder. And statistics supports this. I mean, it's not like I'm just pulling this out of thin air. Statistics reports that there's much less women than men in levels of leadership across mostly all all spectrums. Um, I wouldn't say that's the case for for all teachers would be a minority in that. you know, uh, nurses, nurse, nurses, nurse practitioners, that would also be a place where you see more women in leadership. But, you know, ironically enough, even those two fields are subservient to then predominantly male roles. So doctor. Principal. Yeah. Principal. They all, um, they all are mostly held by male individuals. So there are just fewer opportunities for women to rise in leadership. And then the last one is lack of allies. Uh, so something that, um, I, I read, uh, 
last year, um, upon a recommendation of a woman lead pastor in the, the Dallas area, this is a book called, uh, how women rise by Marshall Goldsmith and Sally Helgeson. And this book was actually written because if you know anything about Marshall, uh, Goldsmith, he's a pretty famous, like leadership, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder type leadership guru. Yeah, he is is the official leadership guru. He actually wrote a book like how I'm pretty sure it's just how people rise or something along those lines. And they realize he realized post-production of this book that actually many of the principles regarding how like men rise, well, sorry, excuse me. I just gave it away. How people rise, um, were out of research done in fields, which is pretty much all fields that predominantly are, are yeah. like have men so occupying So he them. tried to write a gender neutral book exactly. and realized. Oh, that, all of my research yeah. is effectively from men. Wow. Yeah. So he, they, he rewrote this book or not rewrote, but he wrote another book with Sally Helgeson that focused specifically on research as to how women rise. And there are actually a lot of key differences. And one of the things that's talked about in how women rise is the need for women to have allies. So a lot of what prevents women from rising is lack of allies, Mm. lack of people that, um, one, they're willing to link arms with, because I think for so long we're like, us as women, we're kind of suspicious yeah. <laughs> of other people's um, motives or motivations or or uh, their beliefs as to whether we can be successful. Mm. So part of it, like a very small part of it is our, our fault, but also there are just uh, very few people that are willing to say, I will be your ally. Now, when you say very few people, do you mean very few men or very yes. few men and women? <laughs> like is the ally... Oh, uh, well, actually both. Is yes. the ally term yes. gender neutral in that regard saying yes. like... Both men and women need yeah. to link arms to help yes. other women rise. Yeah, being women, women being somewhat of a minority group, we do have this little bit of like tough skin mentality, and so mm. we do have to work better to link arms with other women. It's like like if I did it, you need to do it now. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so we do have to work better to link arms with other women to enlist allies because research actually shows us if we do not enlist allies, we cannot rise in leadership. Wow. Like if we do not have teamwork, we cannot rise. And so as women, we kind of develop this thick skin because we're so used to having to claw our way to the top. Um, those that actually do, um, that sometimes you forget to enlist the ally help of other women, but more often it's that we're, we either don't feel like we can enlist allies in men or men are unwilling to be our allies. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to, or maybe you don't know how to be our allies. I actually think that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that I don't think men don't want to be our allies. They just sometimes don't know how. And so we, we have an issue of lack of allies. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I mean, I can speak to the church world a little bit. We come from a tradition that historically acknowledges the place for women in leadership and has created, created, space and doctrines that allow that and have since literally the dawn of our existence in the early 1900s which was revolutionary revolutionary however even have the right to vote and we were saying they could be ordained pastors incredible yeah Yeah. but (laughs) however the the pragmatics of that how that actually you know flushed out was that the the local pastor typically didn't have a framework or even a, a, a practice in helping women get into spaces of leadership. Um, in a time where culturally women cult- were really yeah, allowed I, to be in leadership. I mean, one of the, we, we talk about the Billy Graham rule, which there is some, some wisdom in it saying, yeah, you know, I, I'm never alone with a, a woman. So a man's never alone with a woman. 
He's not his wife. But taken to the extreme, does that mean one can never have a platonic or working relationship with another woman? Or can they not go grab coffee to talk business? In can a there not be can there people, not be mentorship? Yeah. So I think that what a rule is meant to kind of protect became a limiting factor for women. And so mm-hmm. it's it's figuring out how do we redefine those things yeah. and work towards betterment while acknowledging the kind of good practice of yeah. it, but also saying it's also been a limiting factor. Yeah, and I do just kind of want to start off this conversation by saying, like, this is not an easy, like, quick fix, like, Oh, you're not offering a silver bullet? Oh my gosh, no. This is a very complex issue, and in no way would I ever desire this podcast to be, like, a condemnation for, like, men generally speaking, like to a certain extent, both men and women have a part to play in Mm. women rising in leadership. So do you want to say that outrightly? One, two, um, we are fighting cultural presuppositions in history that have, that do, do play a part into who we are. Like as much as we are, are commanded to be separate from this world, we do live in this world and we are mm-hmm. influenced by it. And so we, and we oftentimes don't even know how and we don't even know how. Are. Yeah. And there are so many moments, even in my pastoral ministry thus far, um, as a woman where I have let the world influence the ways in which I perceive myself, my leadership and what I do pastorally. And so in no way do I, I want this podcast to be like, how dare you men, <laughs> Or step aside men by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I will probably reiterate this later on in this podcast as well. But the image of God is best expressed when both men and women are working together side by side. And so in no way is this podcast designed to um, get rid of men or say women are better in leadership than men are, but rather for us to say, what does it look like to see more examples of women and men working side by side? Mm -hmm. I also just want to preface this by saying Alex and I's chosen model of co-pastoring is not the only way to do this. Right. Um, And it's not even the best way to do it. It's just the way that we've done it. it. Well, that's to say that there isn't necessarily a best way to do it. It's it's about individuals. Yes finding a structure and a model that yeah. works well for them or yeah. couples saying what's a model that works well for them. Um, it's not a one size fits all. And anybody who is advocating a one size fits all is probably not understanding doing the yeah. complexity of it's too complex. This for whole, that. Yeah. The yeah. issue of personality of all of those things. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, what I would say though is every single church industry organization needs to have women represented in their leadership, Mm. period. That I can say with unequivocation, it needs to happen. Now, where those women sit in different levels of leadership, all of that, I think that's up to interpretation and all of those things, context, personality, industry, you know, all of that. But in every single place, there needs to be both male and female representation happening. Yeah, agree. So what are we, you know, we've kind of, spend some time talking through the challenges and kind of dialoguing about the way it is. Um, what are some solutions to those challenges or some practices we can almost immediately put into practice? Yeah. Uh, the first one is that, um, we need to surround ourselves with people that look 
think and act differently than us. So I hear this um, quite a bit in some of the circles I'm in. I want to include more women in X, Y, and Z, but I just don't know any qualified ones or I just don't know any. <laughs> Isn't that the, that term qualified almost becomes the scapegoat for yeah, not including it's like, women. I don't know any, you know, or I don't know any qualified. Uh, here's what I would say. This is honestly, this goes for racial minorities as well. Um, we tend to surround ourselves with people that look, think, act like us. And so when we look in our organization, in our church, for somebody to promote, we look towards our friends, which is a great thing to do. Like there is absolutely nothing wrong with looking towards your friends. But if your friends look, think, and act just like you, you are going to inevitably promote only people who look think, like you, act and look like you. And that is problematic. So here's what I would say diversify your circle of friends and you will diversify your leadership. Mm. I uh, heard it said by John Perkins. He is a well-known biblical scholar. Uh, He is well-known and really uh, prolific in uh, black scholarship and helping um, churches understand the, um, the black struggle within church. And one of the things he always says, don't complain about your church looking white. If your life looks white, Mm. And the first step to transforming the way your church looks is transforming the way that your life works. Wow. And that is the same exact thing for women in leadership. Do you surround yourself with people that look, act, and think differently than you? That includes other women who are qualified, who are in your field, who are X, Y, and Z, who did... You know, who may be like, um, if you're in a church setting, a woman that may be excelling in her um, calling as a teacher, do you surround, do you include her in conversations when it Mm. comes to um, young adult ministry? Let's say if they're, you know, a college professor, do you include an early elementary teacher in your conversations, not just around volunteering in children's ministry, but actually like children's pastor type of conversations. Like how do we, Mm. do you include people like that in your circles? If you do, I guarantee that you'll know more women that you can incorporate. So so you're suggesting that women should have a voice in ministries outside of women's ministry. Yes. Okay. I got it. And children's ministry. Got it. And sometimes youth ministry. Sometimes women are allowed in that, in that circle. Worship ministry too. Worship ministry too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The second thing is instead of seeking qualified women, we have to be in the business of qualifying. Mm. So just here's the reality. Um, I'm going to speak from my specific industry for a moment here, but I do know that this, this transcends to a lot of different industries. So just hear me out. In the 1960s, 2.7% of the clergy were women. Almost 30 years later, in 2017, that number grew to about 20.7%. Now, you can look at that number, and I do think there's a lot to be celebrated. That's awesome. We've come a long way. Um, But for being almost like 40, what, no, 40, 50, 50 years later, 50, Uh 60 years later, (laughs) we're still only 20% of the clergy, okay? Mm -hmm. And I know that that can be said for a lot of different industries out here. So here's the reality. There are not 
hundreds of qualified women standing at your doorstep ready to lead in your churches. For the most part. There, there yeah. are, I think there are some exceptions. There definitely are some exceptions to that. And I can even think of ones in our own church. We have so many qualified women that are yeah. ready to lead in yeah. all levels of leadership. But especially depending on where you live, like there may not be, like you, you may want to hire a woman associate pastor and you may not know anyone. And that's okay. Instead of complaining about the fact that there are not enough qualified women out there to fill the positions that you want to be filled, you then need to become in the business of qualifying women. Mm -hmm. And so that looks like promoting women to different positions that you may not think they're ready for or putting women on a trajectory or a path to begin to promote them into those positions, to grow them, to say, hey, I'm going to be a mentor for you. I'm going to be a person that gives you spaces to speak, opportunities to lead others. I'm going to provide, intentionally begin providing those spaces for you so that I can promote you when the time is ready. We need to be in the business of qualifying people and doing it in a really aggressive way Mm. that calls out potential in women and says, let's put you on a trajectory to move towards ministry. Even beyond just like, the, the women in conversation, I think the best leaders are those who can identify and advocate for potential wherever they see it. Yeah. Um, and it's not about, you know, going out and headhunting the best so-and-so. Actually, I think the most fulfilling and rewarding experiences in leadership is when you called something out of someone that they couldn't even see in themselves. And so as leaders broadly, we need to be advocates of potential. And then specifically with women, there's just this need for, for the realization that they can lead as well. And we're going to be advocates of it, both from men and other women. And let me tell you, this really is not that hard. Um, I can think of a great example. There was an organization I used to work for. I was um, in more of like an administrative role, but I had already previously gotten my master's. And let me just say, had I been invited into some conversations and rooms just so that a younger woman voice could have been heard, it would have changed the game. And not that I have anything specifically crazy to say. It doesn't even have to be me. It could have been a variety of other women that I knew in those administrative circles. But to just simply say like, hey, why don't you come with me to this meeting? Hmm. Hey, why don't you sit in on this conversation? And at the very end of the conversation, I'm going to ask what you think. And I want you to be prepared to say something. It's so simple. And let me say, I actually did at that organization, I want to give credit. I actually was invited into some of the circles because I had an advocate. And it changed the... But, but often the decision-making tables are full of white men between 40 and, what, 55, yeah. maybe a little bit older. And so you're talking about people with almost or very similar life experiencing experiences making the same decisions and all being in agreement because it's like, yeah, we all yeah. agree because we have the same yep. experience. Yeah, and again, I know that there's no malintent behind this because, frankly, no, I surround we, myself by people that, like, like yeah. the human tendency is surround people with people we that look and act. We all do it. It's simply the awareness that says, you know what? I don't have to give this person that I see over there. I don't have to necessarily give her like a position or a title right now, but I can invite her into this circle to observe, to listen, to see how these meetings and then invite her to like give a thought at the end. It's so like something that so simple. simple. <laughs> it just does. It speaks volumes. Um, but I, I'll, I want to wrap it up here. The last thing, um, that I think kind of helps, uh, 
promote more women in leadership, some solutions to some of these challenges that I talked about earlier is um, we actually have to redefine what successful leadership looks like. So I'm going to get like a little nerdy here. I got my master's in communications from Missouri State University, and um, there are a lot of theories um, actually that specifically sit within the communication uh, realm, but are broadly understood um, in all all different academic realms, so so socio psychology, all of lots human behavior, all that stuff. Um, and it is specifically this because, and this this I should say I should preface this conversation with, um, this is also applicable to minor all minority voices. So, because there has been a suppression of women leaders. And because there has been a suppression of not just the woman voice, but of the black voice, of the Indian voice, of all of the different voices, there's been a minority, like a suppression of these voices. Um, we have only heard, historically speaking, white male voices. We only study white male voices. Our history is constructed by white male voices. All of our literature most of our paintings, our artwork, our musical um, symphonies, everything has mostly been influenced by white male creators. And therefore, we have to understand that our levels and definitions of success over the last hundreds of thousands of years have been defined by masculinity. So let me give you a quick example here from my specific industry. So in the church field, the church realm, there are actually some pretty famous women communicators, women preachers. They do the conference circuit, all of that. But when we think through what marks these women as successful, we actually realize that many of them are masculine traits. So I'm going to give a shout out to my girl, Priscilla Shire. She's amazing. I, I, I've heard her preach several times. She's wonderful. But if you think about Priscilla, she has a very, like, deep voice. Mm -hmm. She's not afraid of getting loud. She has a very commanding presence. Um, she shows very little, like, emotion. She does at times. I have seen her, like, shed a tear or two or get... But it's always in a very defensive, aggressive posture. And let me just say, I... Actually, as a female communicator, I'm a little bit more like that as well. So I am not like dissing this by any stretch of the imagination. I'm actually a pretty like aggressive communicator. I have like a lower, more commanding voice, like all of those things. Um, but those traits are generally associated with masculinity. Mm -hmm. Traits like crying, a more high-pitched voice traits like a quieter vocal tone or displays of emotion in front of others, those are not necessarily celebrated in the public sphere. Yeah. But they are associated with female communication. Yeah. And so inherently, female communication is seen as weak mm -hmm. and male communication is seen as strong. Yeah. One of the, as you say this, one of the things you hear in the church world a lot around a female speaker is her voice annoys me. Uh-huh. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say that. And it that. becomes this uh oh, you know, I'm not I'm not making a big deal out of her being a woman. I just can't stand her. I just voice. can't stand the way she sounds. Yeah. And the in like the undergirding like sexism that's present there, like yeah. I, I think I, I don't think most people who say that and 
I'm sure I've probably been guilty of saying something similar. Mm-hmm. I don't think you recognize the the kind of inherent bias that is behind a statement like that, but it's definitely there. And it's, it's because all you ever hear are all low you ever, voices. Yes, all you yeah. hear are low voices. And so and your men. brain is like, oh, this is different. And because of that difference, you're like, I don't know if I like that. Right. But again, like you said, undergirding all of that is yep. this understanding that the reason why it's rubbing you weird is because you never hear it. Mm. You yep. never hear it. Yep. And so we have to begin redefining what we think of success as because here's the deal. 50% of the our congregations, actually more than that, because more women come to church than men. Yeah. It's more like... Statistically. Statistically, it's more, it's more 60. like 65. 60, yeah. 65. 60 to 65% of our congregation are women. Yep. And so we're saying 60 to 65% can't do the work of ministry. Not only that, but we are, we have set up a, a paradigm in which they're, the way in which they... Um, perceive communication and the the way in which they receive communication must look like the way that we as men receive communication. And so do I think they're as like, do I think, you know, they're as a a black and white as that? No, there's so much like intricacies. There's so much overlap, all those things. But the reality is, is men communicators actually have a lot to learn from women communicators in like all different types of women communicators and actually the display of emotion during a sermon, like we need to redefine that as a good thing. Like now let me, let me preface. I was saying like somebody that cries the whole sermon, you can't understand anything they're saying. That's, that's, a, that's not what I'm talking about that's here. Excessive. That's excessive, but we need to actually normalize like real raw emotion mm. in communication. We need to normalize the, the, a quieter tone of voice. Heck, we have technology. We have microphones nowadays. I, you don't need to like You don't be, need to yell. No, you don't need to yell. In fact, yelling in some cultures is, per, is perceived as extraordinarily rude. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to normalize a quieter tone of voice. We need to normalize some of these things that actually could really benefit and increase our ability to communicate with a diverse people. And so, yeah, to just kind of sum it up, um, some of the things that we need to to do in order to um, confront and change some of these challenges or barriers that we face uh, is one, surrounding ourselves with people that look different than us. Um, we need to be in the business of qualifying, not looking for the qualified. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we need to redefine that successful leadership. Wow. What would be some resources that you would offer for those who are listening? Yeah, so if you're a woman and you uh, are are feeling like you need to step in another, another level of leadership, or if you're a man listening to this and you're wondering, how do I help women rise in levels of leadership? I would suggest reading the book, How Women Rise um, by Sally Helgeson and Marshall Goodman, Goodsmith. I, I mentioned it earlier in this podcast. Women, it's going to help you overcome some of those barriers. He actually goes through, I think it's 12 different barriers that women experience when they're trying to rise to another level. Uh, and then men, it's going to help you understand the barriers that women face when they are trying to rise and it's going to help you be an advocate for them. And then the second book that I would recommend is good news for women by Rebecca Gruthis. This is really a book that sets up not just a biblical foundation for women leading in all levels of leadership in the church, but all levels period. It provides a really good biblical foundation for marriage and the equality of the roles in marriage. Um, and really it's just, uh, a solid exegesis of the scriptures in relationship to women and leadership. So 
those are the two that I would suggest. Uh, but there's a lot of good ones out there. So Love it. Love it. Well, thank you for joining us on the Midtown Church Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.